hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Update on Baltimore attack. We bring you the background and an update on the two elderly men who were violently assaulted outside of a Planned Parenthood in Baltimore while praying and peacefully protesting. Lauren Muzika, president of Sidewalk Advocates for Life, shares her reaction and offers some tips on how to effectively save lives from the sidewalk. From atheist to believer, Kristen Turner is a prominent member of the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, a secular organization that takes bold action to rescue babies whose mothers are determined to abort. She joins us to share how her work to save children has brought her to the Catholic faith. Pride brings peril. We bring you a recap of the first week of, quote, Pride Month, cultural attacks against the family, young children, and our way of life as Catholics. I speak out about the dangers for life when ideology replaces religion. Judges in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals are currently debating the future of the abortion pill and whether the dangerous drug will remain on the market. Alliance Defending Freedom, representing the plaintiffs in the case, argue that the FDA did not properly evaluate the safety of mifepristone, the first drug in a chemical abortion, before putting it on the market in 2000. Fifth Circuit Judge Matthew Kazmierich ruled in favor of the plaintiffs in April and suspended the FDA's approval of the abortion pill. The Supreme Court temporarily blocked Kazmierich's decision, returning the case back to the Fifth Circuit. Mifepristone remains available while Fifth Circuit judges re-examine the case. Joining me now from ADF's senior counsel is Erin Hawley. She is also the vice president of ADF's Center for Life and Regulatory Practice. Erin, thanks so much for joining me. Can you give us an update on the latest from the Fifth Circuit? We know that now a panel of three judges on that court is reviewing the case. Talk to me about the gravity of it. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, um, this case is very important because it concerns the FDA's approval and continual deregulation of the chemical abortion drug. Today, women can get this drug without ever seeing a doctor, without being evaluated for contraindications like ectopic pregnancies or finding out how far along gestationally they are. Uh, it can lead to serious life-threatening injuries. And that's why a district court judge put the entire chemical abortion regime on ice. The Fifth Circuit recently heard argument, and they seem to really take on board the dangers associated with this drug, especially when it's mailed out without any of the safeguards that the FDA itself once said were necessary for the drug's safe use. Mm. The risk is just immeasurable that women are being, being put in here. Aaron, we're going to continue to, to track that, but shifting gears a bit, I want to get your thoughts from a legal perspective. Almost a year out from the overturning of Roe, in Dobbs, the Supreme Court mm -hmm. has set a standard that every state can legislate on abortion as they see fit, but pro-life laws are still being challenged by pro-abortion groups across the country. Could any of these cases make their way to the Supreme Court in this post-Roe world anytime soon? Uh, absolutely. And to take just a minute to pause it and to note how momentous it is that we actually are in a post-Roe world, a yes. post-Dobbs world, which promises uh, to the American people that the states and their elected representatives can protect life. And Alliance Defending Freedom is fighting in a number of states, I think about a dozen, to uphold these good pro-life laws, uh, to allow states to uh, enact these provisions that finally are able to protect 
impact life. And there's a number of challenges winding through, but we are hopeful uh, that the federal courts will indeed uh, come through on the promise of Dobbs and allow states to protect life finally. Mm. And as you well know, abortion isn't the only cultural evil that we're fighting right now. Could you speak to some of the other high priority cases that our viewers should be following? Uh, absolutely. So there are a number of cases uh, involving parental rights when we're talking about, you know, what children are taught in schools, um, whether a school district might be able to transition a child without their parents knowing uh, at all. These sorts of fundamental issues that are important uh, to parents and families all over the country and decisions in which parents should absolutely be involved uh, are some of the cases. Um, there are a number of women's sports cases, cases in which um, by biological males are being allowed to compete and take competitive opportunities away from females. Uh, in addition, the 303 creative case, we expect a decision any day now uh, from the United States Supreme Court, and we are hoping that the court will affirm uh, that free speech is a right for everyone, uh, including religious believers. Uh, as your viewers may uh, remember, uh, Lori Smith is the plaintiff in that case, and Lori Smith serves everyone. Um, she simply declines to create certain websites based on the messages they convey. Right. So, so we're certainly hoping the court upholds that right. Hmm. Well, thank you for keeping track of all of these things and, and raising the red flag on these important cultural issues. I have one more question before I let you go. We talked recently on this show about the potential for babies to be protected under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment on the federal level. Litigation-wise, is there anything that could happen in the coming months that would prompt the Supreme Court to weigh in on that front? I know Congressman Doug Lamborn just introduced a resolution this week in Congress calling for the recognition of unborn children to be protected under the 14th Amendment. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So I'm not aware of any pending case that could bring that to the Supreme Court's attention imminently. Um, however, it is an argument that's being made in the lower courts. Um, a lot of research, of course, there's uh, the Robbie uh, George and George Finnis brief that was filed in the Dobbs case, mm -hmm. uh, sort of laying out this argument that the 14th Amendment, you know, if it protects corporations, uh, then surely it also protects unborn children. Sure. Um, but there's there's a lot of work in the lower courts, I, I think, that needs to be done first and, and uh, that, that groundwork that needs to be laid. Well, it's good to know that those conversations are being had on the lower level, and I appreciate your expertise on that and on everything we've discussed. Thanks so much for joining us, Erin Hawley of Alliance Defending Freedom. Thanks for having me. Last week, we brought you the story of two pro-life men who were brutally attacked outside a Planned Parenthood facility in Baltimore. 73-year-old Mark Crosby and 80-year-old Dick Schaefer were praying outside the abortion facility when the assailant approached them. Crosby was beaten to the ground and kicked in the face, and the bones behind his right eye were shattered. Schaefer sustained minor injuries. The investigation is ongoing, and the suspect is still at large. The Baltimore Police Department has not yet responded to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly's request for comment. The two men's lawyer recently spoke to EWTN News Nightly about the attack. This violence against these elderly men was not just unwarranted, but it was... It was way beyond the pale. Uh, you know, there's, it's hard to watch, I've, you know, it's hard to see these kind of attacks. And, um, and we want to see this man held responsible for his actions because it is not okay to go out there and attack anyone. Um, and people who do this sort of thing should be held accountable.
This is just one of many incidents of hostility towards pro-life people and pregnancy resource centers this past year. Our sister publication, Catholic News Agency, has tracked that more than 100 churches, pregnancy centers, and other pro-life organizations have been vandalized. In addition, the FBI raided the house of pro-life activist and father, Mark Houck, for protesting outside an abortion facility in Philadelphia, taking him into custody. Houck has since been acquitted and announced plans to sue the FBI. Lauren Muzika, president and CEO of Sidewalk Advocates for Life and an avid sidewalk counselor herself, joins us now to discuss. Lauren, thanks so much for joining me. What is your reaction to these men being attacked in Baltimore? Well, this is just heartbreaking, Prudence. You know, these are elderly members of the pro-life community who have served outside the Baltimore Planned Parenthood for years. Mm. They were brutally beaten while praying and handing out to abortion-vulnerable women and men entering that facility help, hope, options, and resources. And this passerby did not like the message that they had that morning. They were standing, of course, in, in the spirit of protest against abortion, but so much more than that, that they were just helping people. They were trying to save lives. They were letting women know about the options and resources available to them. It's heartbreaking to think that somebody didn't like them exercising their First Amendment rights, didn't like their message, and right. decided to brutally beat them in response. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so unfortunate. And and how often do incidents like this occur, Lauren? Has there been an uptick in situations like this, similarly to the uptick in vandalisms at pregnancy centers that we've seen? Yeah, thankfully, after Dobbs, we've actually seen the, the sidewalk remain largely peaceful. We often say that the sidewalk is a microcosm of the culture, so you can feel the tension sometimes in front of an abortion or abortion referral facility. Sure. Um, we at Sidewalk Advocates for Life teach advocates to de-escalate, right? That if they're seeing red flags, if they're noticing that the emotional temperature is high, to take steps to de-escalate the situation. So these two gentlemen that were brutally attacked, they were not part of the Sidewalk Advocates for Life community. Of course, we applaud them for taking a stand for the unborn and for women and families. Right. Um, but the good news is here, there's training available to people if they want to do this, they want to continue being the hands and feet of Christ outside these facilities. Um, you know, we had a couple of advocates who were shoved right after the Dobbs decision was handed down. Of course, our advocates take a pledge to be peaceful, prayerful, loving, and law-abiding. There was nothing that they were doing wrong. Um, they were okay after those incidents. And again, largely because we've got 233 teams across the United States, and our folks you know, really have adhered to their training, they've been able to stay safe largely on the sidewalk. Yeah, that's helpful context. And you're, you're getting right to this point, Lauren, but stories like this yeah. may make some people wary to go out on the sidewalk. So talk to me a little bit more about that training that you guys offer and the real impact that can be made by counseling these women in these moments. Right. Safety is paramount to us here at Sidewalk Advocates for Life. You know, we can't do what we do if we're not staying safe, right? And when the emotional temperature is rising with the client, it's just not a productive conversation. And so we take a step back, we're immersed in prayer, um, we call the police if our person or property is being threatened. 
And just as the scriptures say, we're praying for every opportunity, opportunity in the spirit. So initially a client may be very hot as they're entering the abortion facility, but we look for an opportunity to re-engage. A lot of times clients will come out two and three and four times to grab stuff from the car or wow. you know, the abortion facility will tell them you can't bring your person, you can't bring your cell phone in. Isn't that interesting? That line of communication cut off, yes. but it gives us more opportunities to engage. And so we're kind of reading the entire situation, ensuring that at every step, we have that confidence of knowing this is the point where we need to make contact and continue the conversation. So critical. Lauren, what's coming down the pike from Sidewalk Advocates for Life? How can people get involved in their area? Any upcoming events? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I just want to encourage everybody that if you have a tug on your heart to go to the sidewalk, even with the advent of a weaponized DOJ and FBI, there are ways to stay safe. There are ways to protect your First Amendment rights and your ministry. We at Sidewalk Advocates for Life just celebrated uh, baby number 20,350 saved the other day on the sidewalk. We just got news of another abortion facility closure in South Bend, Indiana last night. Wow. So God is moving. Uh, we're continuing to grow our teams in front of abortion and abortion referral facilities across the country. And then we've got an incredible epic training at our conference this fall in Dallas. It's the National Sidewalk Advocacy Conference. The, the theme this year is the sidewalk is everywhere because again, we've got our pharmacies that are being turned into chemical abortion dispense, dispensaries, right? We've got um, you know transgender hormone therapy clients going into Planned Parenthood. We need to minister to these clients. We've got all these new frontiers where we've got to be on our toes. And so yeah. if you want to learn how to talk to clients in those situations, we would love to serve you. And of course, talk to you about safety on the sidewalk. Of course, of course. Well, glory be to God for all the work that you're doing, the children that you're saving. Lauren Muzika of Sidewalk Advocates for Life, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Prudence. Now for some other major headlines from the week. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley spoke during a CNN town hall on June 4th. When asked about abortion bans, she deferred to the rights of individual states to decide. That's what South Carolinians decided. And I know that South Carolina is, is very pro-life. And so it's very representative of who they are. There are some other states that have gone more the abortion side. And I, like I said, I wish that wasn't the case, but that is who they are. Her answer received criticism from pro-life activists who say she dodged the abortion question and downplayed the issue. She has previously said a federal abortion ban would be unlikely without more pro-life Republicans in Congress. The pool of presidential potentials continues to grow, with former Vice President Mike Pence and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie throwing their hats in the ring this week. Across the board, the Republican candidate's stances on abortion limits remain unclear. Scottish pro-life groups and disability rights activists are speaking out after their country saw an almost 20% increase in abortions. A government report says Scotland saw more than 16,000 abortions performed last year, the highest annual toll on record. The statistics also show that the number of children with Down syndrome whose lives were ended by abortion increased by 84%. Scotland's first minister, Humsa Youssef, is working to liberalize abortion laws in the country. 
And to Capitol Hill, a pro-life legislator introduced a resolution that calls for unborn babies to be protected under the 14th Amendment. The Recognizing Life resolution calls on Congress to enforce the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection for unborn children nationwide. The resolution references the original interpretation of the 14th Amendment and argues that unborn babies were understood to be persons at the time it was adopted. Representative Doug Lamborn, along with 21 other pro-life representatives, introduced the resolution on June 6th. The resolution has been referred to the House Judiciary Committee and awaits consideration. Coming up, the rainbow takeover as Pride Month celebrations spring up around America and the world. How this ideology goes against the Catholic faith, I speak out. Plus, a pro-life atheist announces her decision to join the Catholic Church. We talk to Kristen Turner of the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising about her journey and her activism for the unborn. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to the show. In the Catholic tradition, the month of June is dedicated to honoring the most sacred heart of Jesus. Tragically, the secular world has deemed June, quote, Pride Month. That is this week's Speak Out segment. The emblem of pride, which I'm sure you're seeing everywhere, is a rainbow flag that promotes transgenderism and morally objectionable behavior of all kinds. The first week of June is now behind us. Here's some of the most egregious things we saw. West Hollywood's Pride Parade in California drew thousands of spectators. The parade's website says it is a colorful and entertaining event for the whole family, even though some floats feature scantily clad men dancing provocatively. Dozens of corporations updated their profiles with rainbow logos, including the Washington, D.C. Metro System, which tweeted over the weekend encouraging young children to hop on the train and head to the Children's Pride Parade, marketing to, quote, babies, toddlers, and teens. Just as alarming, but also as unsurprising, the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See in Rome once again raised a rainbow transgender flag saying they, quote, stand with the LGBTQIA community against discrimination and other forms of persecution because of who they love. Pride, of course, is one of the seven deadly sins. And according to the great St. Thomas Aquinas, it's the most deadly sin of all. These displays and events stand in direct opposition to our deeply held beliefs. They destroy the innocence of children and the beauty of the family. Nations that promote threats to the family and suppress traditional unions between one man and one woman, unions that have the unique ability to create life, will ultimately self-destruct. On this front, U.S. leaders could take a page out of Italy's book, where Prime Minister Georgia Maloney has just declared they will celebrate Family Pride Month lifting up traditional families. Pope Francis also recently praised Hungary for its pro-family policies that encourage married couples to have children. How much better it would be, the Pope said, to build a Europe centered on the human person and its peoples. This month, let's help our country and our world to fix our gaze not on rainbow flags, but on the most sacred heart of Jesus and pray that he has mercy on us.
And to close our show, a special interview with pro-life activist Kristen Turner, part of the secular group Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, also known as POW. Kristen has spent years working to rescue babies from abortion. Her group is credited with finding the bodies of 115 children killed by abortion, including five nearly full-term babies in a box in the back of a medical waste truck. Kristen, formerly an atheist, recently made a huge announcement on social media that she is joining the Catholic Church. Kristen Turner, Director of Community Outreach at POW, joins us now. Kristen, thanks so much for being here. Congratulations on your conversion. We're so glad to have you joining the church. Start, please, by explaining what it is that initially drew you to Catholicism, and, and really, we'd just love if you could share your story. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate getting this opportunity and just being able to share, you know, what called me to the church. And really it started as a lot of small things, but the biggest one for me was definitely my advocacy in the anti-abortion movement. As you said before, and as many people who know me understand, I have taken direct action. I've been incarcerated to help save the lives of children who are at risk from dying by abortion, who are being killed by abortionists. And it was really through that work and seeing how fruitful an act of sacrifice could be and how transformational an act of sacrifice could be that drew me into the church and just seeing the sacrifice of Jesus and what he was willing to do to humanize, to help save our lives, it really made me start to think about my own life and why I was feeling the way I did when I was finally sacrificing something for somebody else. And a lot of it came from a book that I read by Joseph Foreman. He was a very well-known rescuer in the 80s and 90s, and his book is called Shattering the Darkness, The Crisis of the Cross in the Church Today. And he goes in-depth about the principles that lead us to do rescue for unborn babies and how that is connected to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and related to the church. And seeing all these people around me who are part of the Catholic Church, seeing their beauty, seeing the sacrifice they were willing to make really started to draw me in. And as an atheist, I obviously I'm looking for evidence-based reasoning when it comes to what I believe. Mm. And that's why I had such a hard time, you know, coming into the faith for so long. But it wasn't until I actually tried to disprove the existence of Jesus Christ that I found myself compelled by the forensic evidence of ex his existence. And, you know, I had plenty of opportunities to be witnessed towards by other pro-life activists. There's lots of people in the movement who are part of the Catholic Church, and I even had time to talk about it when I was incarcerated for doing rest with a good friend who was talking to me all about the church, and there's just many things that have brought me here, but the main one has been seeing, you know, how necessary it is to sacrifice for these unborn children. Yeah, what a beautiful parallel. Um, between Christ and the work that you're doing to save babies. Praise God for that. Kristen, talk to me a little bit about how you got involved in the pro-life movement and discovered your passion for saving children. Well, I was originally very outspokenly in support of abortion. I mean, I did public events speaking about why abortion is actually good for our society. Wow. And it wasn't until I faced sexual abuse at the hands of a teacher at my high school and thought that I had become pregnant by that abuse 
that I really researched abortion and had to reconsider what that was. And it was in that moment that I realized this act of violence against me is parallel to the act of violence committed against an unborn child who is not seen as fully human and whose body is not respected mm. and therefore can be violently violated. And when that happened, I knew that I had to do something. But as a feminist, as an atheist at the time, and as somebody who's progressive and still is progressive, I thought there wasn't a place for me in the pro-life movement. And you know, I decided to speak up anyway. I started a group at my college campus, and then I founded my own nonprofit, which was a progressive pro-life organization. Mm. And it was through that that I found Teresa Bukovinak, who is just absolutely amazing. She has, she has taught me so much about this movement and about life, and I'm just beyond grateful for her leadership. And it was through her help that I was able to be a bigger part of this movement to help start POW with her and to help be a part of mission from the beginning and it's just been these last two years almost three years that I've been pro-life publicly and I mean it's transformed my life and I can say that there are children out there who have been saved by the advocacy that POW has done and the work that I've been doing and I think that that's worth more than anything any career objective anything in my life is you know knowing that I've been able to help save children right and you speak about POW and all the work that you guys are doing, the investigating that you're doing to uncover the injustice being done to children. Um, before I let you go, we've been following the story of these babies that you all found. Could you give us an update on that? I think that the story of these babies is absolutely paramount, not only to the abortion issue, but also to the issue of faith. I mean, when I saw these children and I looked at them and I saw how brutalized they were, I thought to myself, myself, how could that not possibly be objectively evil? Mm. And it's it's absolutely sickening what happened to these children. And we are continuing to fight for justice for these children. For these children, we are looking to get autopsies done. We are still attempting to get an autopsy. We are also attempting to get hearings for these babies to call their killer into the courtroom mm. and hear what he has to say, ask him to his face how he could do something like this. And we do believe that these children could be covered for a national van by, we do believe that these children and their stories could be a cover for a national ban at viability. Mm. Even people who support abortion early in pregnancy can acknowledge that these children and their stories are heart-wrenching and should never take place. So as of now, we are using the story of these babies. We are promoting the story of these babies in order to save children like them and in order to further our goals in the movement to liberate every child from violence. And not only that, we believe that this is integral to our fight against the FACE Act, which not only has been unfairly and unevenly applied to pro-life people, but it's just an unjust law from the beginning. It doesn't make sense. It's unconstitutional, and it's textbook First Amendment discrimination. Mm -hmm. Well, Kristen Turner, we're so grateful for your courage and your vulnerability in speaking with us today. Congratulations again on your conversion, and, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Kristen Turner of the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. God bless you. Thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. Or send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.